Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Capsule Production Podcast. As always, I'm Sean Harris, and I'm joined today by Dr. Lazo. Joven, how are you doing today? I'm great, man. And it's a surreal feeling to hear my name um, announced like that. So thank you, Dr. Harris, for, for calling me Dr. Lazo. I appreciate that. Well, you've certainly earned it. So I feel like every single time I can, I'm going to just drop a doctor in there for you. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we worked hard for a degree, so I appreciate that. Yes, we did. All right, guys. So back back on course. So we are doing the fourth episode of this residency, Road to Residency series for you guys. So this yes. fourth episode, we're going to be focusing on one of, could be the most important days of your life. If it's, a, if it's a program you really like, could be something that a lot of people are stressing about. It's interview day. It's a lot of mixed feelings. A lot of mixed emotions, a lot of just jitteriness and things. So we're going to go over our preparation, things we thought about um, during interview, before interview, and then also things we did after interviews and maybe like a couple of weeks later to stay in touch with these programs. So going in, Joven, what were some things you did to prepare for interview day, whether it was the night or the morning before? So the number one thing that I would do is... By the time the interview season came around, I already had my nap textbook. So depending on the site that I was having my interview at, because I applied to both inpatient and also AMCARE rotations or residencies, excuse me, I would go to a section in the NAPLEX that I feel like they could possibly ask me about for the interview portion. So what do I mean by that? Let's look at the VA, for example. If you're going to be at a VA, think about their patient population, okay? Um, They have veterans, so there could be some psych patients. There could be patients with tobacco uh, dependence. If you look at their rotations that they offer, if they offer hepatitis C, if they offer HIV, maybe review those sections. So that's what I would do the night before. Maybe make some key notes and then have that by my, just close to me, just have like some keynotes, not too much. So the morning before you're not overloading your brain with information, but you just have some keynotes, whether it's um, counseling points or different uh, drugs and durations and et cetera, et cetera, as far as treatment. And then if it was inpatient, I would think about, okay, what does that hospital do? What is that hospital known for? If it's, um, you know, a trauma center, maybe, you know, you look up certain things that deal with that. If it's a place that does a lot of cabbages or PCIs, they do a lot of surgical procedures. Maybe you'll kind of look up more of the cardiac section in the NAPLEX book. So I would really cater it to what I was expecting as far as the interview process to go. So that's what I would do the night before as far as studying for that clinical case. Another thing I would do is also definitely, definitely, definitely have your key points you want to hit for those questions you're expecting to come. All right. For your first interview, you may not know what kind of questions are coming, but after you have a couple, you kind of get a general idea of the type of questions will be asked. So definitely like those different situational questions, behavioral, behavioral questions. I would just run through my little bullet points that I would have my little star method, um, situation, task, action, reward, or results, sorry, not, not reward, uh, result. And just kind of look at that and just make sure, play it in my mind, kind of repeat, talk to myself while I'm in the shower type of thing the morning of. 
just to make sure I have my responses, not super rehearsed, but I know the, the pinpoint information that I want to touch if they ask me those questions. So that's the two things. Look at my Netflix book for sections that I feel like they could ask me about as far as their clinical case. And then also to kind of rehearse and practice my behavioral situational response um, to those questions. What about you, Sean? Yeah, I definitely feel that I did similar to what you were saying. But for me, something that I like to do either was if it was a couple of days before, even the night before, sometimes the morning before, if it was a later interview, was I like to go over all the open um, source information that the residency site has given me. That like kind of like what did they do to tip their hand, right? Some programs will give you your itinerary so early in advance that you kind of see every single thing you have to do throughout the day. Some places will tell you like you're interviewing with this section with these preceptors. So why not look at these preceptors? Like Dovin's saying like, oh, I'm interviewing with an AMCARE preceptor. Oh, this person's head of psych. This person's head of pain and palliative care. Like it's like, okay, they're gonna be interviewing me then I know they're, they're probably going to ask a clinical question towards that. Or if I know I have a presentation about a certain topic that I have to do, like I'm going to make sure that I'm thoroughly doing that. So just, just kind of just preparing by understanding what your requirements, who you're interviewing with, um, just basic run through of the program and why you're interested in it, right? Kind of get a good motivation of, like get more motivated. I'm like, you know what? I want to apply to this program because they have this, this, and this. This program is awesome. And kind of that will get your gears turning and you'll be able to just hit the ground running when it's time for your interview. So those are some things that I kind of did to help orient it, orient me more to the program than also the people that were going to be interviewing me prior to interview day that really helped me. And then by looking up the people that you know are going to be interviewing you, when it's time to ask them questions at the end of each section, you can ask some more personalized question, or maybe you know something about them and you maybe don't ask it in a direct way. Maybe you accidentally find something. I was at an interview where one of the questions they asked me was, what's an area you feel like your weekend that you want to like maybe learn more about? And I was like, you know what? I don't know much about toxicology. That's an area I think is super cool. It's crazy to learn about. You have really interesting cases. And the, the person who was interviewing me, I didn't know her background too much. But she was like, that's really interesting because I have a master's in toxicology after pharmacy school. And I was like, what? No freaking way. So like just yeah. kind of just doing like a little bit of background and you'll know a little bit about these people. Maybe not super in depth, like don't go overboard, but like you can accidentally find commonalities and um, conversations, you know, so that just form naturally. So I feel like for me, that's definitely what I would recommend doing before interview. Yeah, and you touched on something too. I forgot that I did do that. I would also look up, I would look at their LinkedIn, the different preceptors that could possibly be there, the different pharmacists that could possibly be in the meeting, just so I could have a personalized question, just to, just to show that I have um, vested interest in these people and into this program. So that's something that I would definitely recommend. Kind of look up any research they've done, um, any of their passions, but maybe it's stuff that they like. I know one site, there was someone who, who was a fan of an author that I, that I um, also like. So I know if I mentioned them, that, that could be a talking point for us. Um, I didn't meet that person during the interview, but 
if I did, that's something I would have definitely done. So just doing those different things, kind of showing that you're interested, I think will always help. So definitely, definitely do that. Review your material, practice your presentations if you have those practice um, your responses to those behavioral situational questions, and then kind of look up, look over, um, don't spend too long, but just kind of look for the different pharmacists, um, whether they're on LinkedIn or on actual website page um, for the residency, just to kind of get a feel for who they are, what they've done, and use that to your advantage by asking them some personalized questions. Now, other things you, you can do, Simple tips and tricks that you've probably heard everybody will say, like I would go ahead and pre-plan what I'm going to wear the day before. I would, because for us, it was virtual. I would already have everything set up, like the lighting, the desk, um, everything would be perfectly set up. So that way I wouldn't have to worry about it in the morning if I woke up late or anything like that. So that's something I also recommend, less stuff that you have to do the day of. So just make sure everything is laid out, you know, exactly what you're going to wear, you know, exactly what you're going to have for breakfast, um, have your water and snacks close by, um, a pen and a clean sheet of paper in case uh, you need to write anything down for the, for the clinical case or anything that they share, any um, information that they give you. So that way you can keep a record of it and kind of use that to recall your experience during that residency, during that residency interview. And let me see. Also, I don't have, I would not recommend trying like a new breakfast item or a new dish that day. Like keep it consistent. You don't want any bowel movement problems. You don't want um, to be too hungry, malnourished or anything. So just try to stay the same. Don't deviate from your normal diet and you'll be fine. A couple deep breaths after like, trust me, after the first two interviews, you'll be fine. You'll, you'll have a feel for it. So that's what I would definitely say is like the quick, common, easy tips and tricks. I don't know if you have any um, extra ones, Sean. Yeah, so I definitely like the tips you gave because more interviews are starting to go online. So going off of that, we're gonna go. I'm gonna add some more online things. So yeah. definitely lighting is key. Make sure you're able to. A lot of these programs, you can test what your camera looks like. Make sure you're able to see like how you look, like how your camera auto adjusts. Make sure you have good lighting. That's something that I tried to do, and um, my desk lamp was good for that because it has multiple settings. So I felt like that was something I was good. Something that I personally struggled with that I thought may actually hurt me. Um, so one of the things you'll hear a lot is when you're doing an online interview, you want as the, what is it? The, you want to clear any distractions from your background. If you can have a solid wall behind you or something, um, because of COVID and not living at home, um, all my family was basically doing school and work from home. I didn't have access to like a plain wall. I was pretty much in my room. So my background consisted of like, um, like I pretty much had like my cork board that had like, um, sort of like the residency time, uh, timeline from ASHP, which we did mention from a previous episode. So again, throw back to that gem. Yeah. And then I have like quotes and stuff and kind of like my to-do list on it that was behind me. And then also like a few, like, I don't know, like birthday cards. My birthday was recently, like when I was interviewing. And I was like, you know what, this is the best I can do, but you know, it kind of shows some personality and it didn't hurt me at all in my interviews. I got quite a few, 
but that's something that I was worried about. But I do think if you can, a solid background without any distractions is preferred. Yeah, then, I had I had the traditional solid white background. I try to find a space in the apartment to be able to have that type of background. So you can't go wrong. Um, just make sure, like Sean said, it's it's not an issue. It's not a distraction. That's the main thing. I believe you can have some professional material behind you um, to kind of showcase your interest just in personality, just make sure it's not distracting. You should be fine. Yeah. Um, another tip that I utilized was, um, so for my laptop, the camera will all, since I'm, I'm not, it's the way I sit, I like to sit up high on the ground. The camera is always kind of below my face. I don't like to tip it down. So I would put textbooks underneath my laptop to make it equal to my face. That way the lighting would be good. And like you could see me at like eye level from the camera. So that's something that I would also recommend doing. And then looking at, sort of look at your camera when you're, you're answering questions as well to sort of give that illusion of you're making eye contact is something also really yes. important. Yes. And touching along with the online theme, I would also highly recommend practicing whatever software that they're going to have you use because not every it's place cheap. is going to be. Yeah. So make sure you download in advance the software to make sure your computer is compatible with it or your laptop is compatible with it and kind of play around with it in case you do have a presentation and you want to point at things, you want to do different things so that we can kind of get a feel for uh, that online platform, that online video platform. So definitely, definitely, definitely try to do it as early as you can in advance, make sure everything is working for you on your end. So there's no issues when it comes to um, actual interview day. Yeah, that is definitely key because I think I use probably like three different, um, I guess, apps or software to, yeah. and some of the places, I might also say most of the places, they had me actually share it from my screen where I was controlling all the slides and stuff. So if I didn't look up how to use teams for the first time and how to share something through teams or through zoom or through, I think one was like WebEx or something, things like that. Like it, yeah, I don't want to like, look like you're unprepared. So mm -hmm. I think that that's, that's definitely something that's really major. Um, also another thing is like, understand that things happen when you do interviews online. Like you could be the one student whose internet drops or you have bad connection um, you may have to call on your phone instead of using your webcam, like things happen. So kind of just be calm, have some humility if anything happens and kind of just roll with it and do the best you can. Um, and the place I actually matched with, my internet was horrible and they couldn't hear me speak for, I think like half of my first session until like I made a hotspot and I was like, all right, I'm getting off the Wi-Fi. Like, this is not happening. Oh my gosh. And I was freaking out. Well, like, luckily, like, I kind of just, I don't know, like, showed grace and it worked out. But, yeah, I definitely feel like online has its benefits. You know, you can interview with programs across the country, not have to travel, but it is challenging managing software and having um, connectivity issues. So stuff to keep in mind. Yeah, definitely. So now transitioning, I feel like this most likely will not be in person this upcoming year for the twenty. 22 to 2023 class um, of residents. But just in case it is in person, some things you can definitely do is one, you want to make sure that you know the place that you're going to, you are familiar with how to get there. I think that, that can sometimes be an issue because if it's a hospital, like where you go, 
you know, so I would definitely recommend getting there in advance and go ahead and see what drive you would take to that site. And then also see about where exactly you have to meet so that way you're not late and, you know, you're being prompt. You took the initiative to take the time out early in advance to understand how to get there and where to be. So that's one that I would do. Definitely, um, I would have flashcards on me. I don't think there's any problem with you having flashcards on, on your person in order to ask any questions you have and to take notes of some of the things that they mentioned. From my experience as a student and also as a resident, pharmacists love when they see students or residents take notes because that means you are actively listening and you want to keep this information so that way you don't have to keep asking them for help. You will now take this information and apply it forward and, and do something with it. So that's something that I would also recommend is kind of having like maybe sticky notes or flashcards, um, some note cards, some small index cards nearby, some pens on you so that way you can take notes of the of everything that's going on. And so those, those would be like two key things that I would say. And then also, of course, you want to stay hydrated. So have some water or bring a water bottle with you. That'll be important. And also just kind of same thing. Make sure you prep out like what you're going to wear. I know with the online version, I don't know about you, Sean. I know I did this. I would at least wear pants. Like I would wear my suit pants um, along with my top, but I would wear sneakers for my shoes um, just because I felt more comfortable being in sneakers and dress shoes. So that's something where that might be a bit different. I would recommend you wear dress shoes when you're in person, but make sure you know you're comfortable in them just in case you're going to be walking all over the place. You know, if it's a very large hospital, you might do a lot of walking. And the last thing you want to do is be uncomfortable and have your feet and have like maybe some blisters, some issues with your feet. And now that's affecting the way you think and how you're responding to questions that the pharmacists are asking you. Yeah, no, I, I had one um, interview in person, um, which was in Lakeland, which um, was a great place. Actually, I had a lot of fun um, in that interview. Everyone who was there was really friendly and really great. So something I would say is that the relationships you're building, it's not just like through Zoom. So every single thing you have to do, you kind of got to make sure like you're being polite and making sure like you're being your best self, right? Because you're something we always say, you're always interviewing, whether that be being the person who holds the door, being the person who's not eating like a maniac during lunch, being the person who's mm -hmm. genuinely interested in conversations that are away from the interview, right? Like if you're just eating lunch with the RPD or with the residents, like you're no longer interviewing kind of, but are you getting along well with people? Like there's more you can see if you click more with their program and things like that. So I think it's more of trying to be yourself, but also being professional is what you have to kind of balance more in an in-person interview. And then I like what you said about head to toe, making sure you're dressed appropriately. And then um, definitely your shoe recommendations. We walked a lot through multiple floors of the hospital. So ladies, if you're listening and you're, I guess if you have heels that you really like, but are going to hurt your feet, maybe do wedges or flats or an alternative flats, shoe. Yeah. Um, but I mean, if that's not going to bother you, power to you, like wear whatever you think you're going to look good and comfortable in. What else can I say about in-person interviews? It's tough just because like we haven't had, 
will yeah, need too much it. experience. Yeah. I haven't had them. Like I've had it for mm-hmm. other things, but not for a residency. So it's tough yeah. to really say, but just the typical advice. Get there um, early for sure. Yeah. Like that's the easier one. I think for online interviews, we don't think about, like Sean said, like I did the same thing. I put, actually, wait, yeah, we both have Surface Pro. So yeah, that's, that's why you did it. But we both put like books underneath our laptop to raise the level of the camera, you know, because you want them to see about upper chest to face or upper chest to above your head. So not like they're looking at a lower part or too high, too high of your face, like only your your chin and up type of thing. So playing with the angles, playing with the lighting so it doesn't look awkward and you look clear when you're when you're on camera, doing these different things that you're not thinking about when you're just going on to a normal Zoom meeting, you know, like those things may not matter, but for an interview, you want to look your best. And by looking your best, it's also making sure you have the correct environment around you. Like, all right, is there nothing distracting behind me? And if there is, you don't have to take everything off your wall. You could just put in a background if you want on the Zoom or on whatever web platform you have, but just make sure you practice it so you know how to add that in. So, or how to add, um, how to put in a background or some type of filter so that way they don't see um, maybe the clutter that's in your apartment or in your room. Now to kind of transition, unless Sean, did you have anything else to add on about like online or in person? No, I think that's about it. I mean, it's gonna really depend on, like I feel like in person interviews are more of like a full experience. Like you're more out there in the environment. It's really different than, being in the comfort of your own home. So it's kind of just being yourself and just trying to feel out the atmosphere and kind of more like fit in and immerse yourself. So it's kind of very different. Like it's going to be different depending on every program and every building that you go to. But it's hard for me to like really provide some. If you have any questions, you can feel free to reach out and I'll try to give you a more succinct uh, answer if you have a very detailed question that we didn't touch on. So let me know. Yeah, definitely. And then to kind of transition into something that I feel is forgotten, um, I feel, or I shouldn't say I feel, I witnessed some individuals that, uh, that kind of came out of character. And what I mean by that is what Sean touched upon earlier about having that balance of who you are as a person and also who you are as an interviewee. So you want to be the best of both, okay? So... Knowing certain jokes may be inappropriate, you know, certain comments may be inappropriate. And so certain ones are. Maybe if you build more of a rapport and more of a relationship with these individuals, you can do that. But, you know, there's there's certain things I shouldn't have to explain. It should be self-explanatory. But if you're unsure, you can definitely reach out to us and we can kind of discuss more about what things you you might want to say or joke about. Because... At the end of the day, they have a mission statement. They have a theme, okay? They want to see, do you fit in with the entire pharmacy team? It's not just one pharmacist. It's not just two pharmacists. It's all of the pharmacists. It's all of the technicians. And maybe even some of the doctors where there might be a collaborative practice agreement with, and you might be spending time with them. You know, how well does this person fit? And you will kind of get a vibe. We keep saying that word. You'll hear it from everybody. When you're doing your interview, you will get a vibe for the type of the spirit, the spirit of that pharmacy, the culture of that pharmacy. And so 
you just want to make sure you do your part to show how you fit within that culture, but also still being yourself. Cause they're not going to want somebody that's a, that will just be exactly what they want. They also want someone that's going to be, have their own personality, their own little uniqueness, you know? So you can have that. You can be different. Maybe a lot of people there are big fans of cats. All right. It's okay to be a dog lover and say, you don't like cats. All right. <laughs> it's not the end of the world. Like that's a minor thing. So you don't have to agree with everything or say you're into something that you're truly not into um, just for the sake of the interview, just to try to see if that'll give you extra points basically is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. And I just like to add a disclaimer and say that um, your statement did not reflect how the capsule production podcast feels about cats. We are accepting to all animals. <laughs> is that what we're doing so now? Don't, right. don't want to, don't want to lose any viewers. Are we that big, Sean, that we have to, we have to, we have to use disclaimers like that? OMG. Yeah, I have no, I have no conflicts of interest. Well, Joe been standing by what he said. I'm not a cat fan. So crucify me if you must. <laughs> All right. Okay. <laughs> moving on. <laughs> All right. So moving on something that I remember hearing about, but I felt like I honestly put it off to the last minute and I felt like, oh my gosh, I did this so late. Are they going to hold this against me? But I was like, but this is something that if I didn't do, I didn't do it, is the topic of sending personalized thank you emails and or letters. This is something that I honestly did very late. And I kind of did it like very, very close to, I guess, when rankings were due for both programs and um, potential resident candidates. And I don't know if that was appropriate to do it towards that. Like, hey, I'm still thinking about you guys kind of thing. Like, even though I didn't say that, like, that's kind of like maybe how it felt off. Like, oh, rank me. It's almost time. Or if you're, you should do it within a time frame of your interview ending. Now, I feel you shouldn't do it within a time frame of your interview like inter- ending. And for some programs, I did do that. And I would write like my get like a like, kind of just a brief overview of like, thank you for the opportunity, like what I was so interested in the program, like I'm so interested, stuff like that. And then I would, um, if I had any get back to me questions, I would include it there and personalize it to the person um, who I was addressing. But Joven, how did you go about your personalized thank you emails and or letters? Because to be honest with you, I feel like that's an area that I wish I did better. And that's something an area that I would improve on if I could redo my road to residency experience. I would do, for me, I responded within 48 hours. That was my goal, 48 hours to send them uh, an email. I would also include, like you said, my get back to me responses. I did have, I think only one, only one get back to me response on one of my interviews. And my thank you letters, I only sent them to the RPD unless I felt I had a good rapport with certain pharmacists that I met during my interview experience, then I would also message them and say, you know, thank you. Um, I appreciate the knowledge on this or on that. And, you know, different things like that I truly did appreciate, I shared with them. So that's what I did, just the RPD, every RPD, and then also anybody that I felt I had a connection with or I was truly grateful or thankful for, for whatever they advice they gave me and the information they provided and that was basically it and i didn't make it long i try to make it short sweet and to the point 
you know, um, I'm not much of a writer, so I don't want something really long. If somebody's going to give me something, I would like it to be short, sweet, and to the point. So that's how I wrote mine. So maybe like one introductory paragraph, which is like a couple sentences, and then like a thank you paragraph, which is only a couple of sentences, like two to three. And then that was it for me. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, I think that's a good thing to do. Keep it recent and show that you're showing genuine interest right after the interview. That's, I think that's the best way to pursue doing a personalized thank you letter or email. Um, now, going I will say in, this though. If I were to be doing this in person, that might be different. I might have thank you cards on me and then maybe go to the bathroom or something like that before it's the end of it or maybe during my lunch break or something. And I'll like write out who I want to write, you know, I would just write out my thank you message to them and then just hand them the card before I leave. That's what I would have tried to do or hand all the cards to the RPD and she can give it to those um, specific pharmacists that also wrote a thank you letter for. So that's something that I would have done if it was in person, but since it wasn't, I just decided to send them an email within 48 um, hours. So do you feel that a personalized thank you email slash letter? I mean, most people are going to do emails, which I feel like is totally fine and probably um, mm -hmm. maybe definitely more done to be the email route. Do you feel like these, this, I guess this practice is something that is, it's not necessarily, it's not necessarily required, but is it kind of required? I don't know how to word that, but it's like, an unspoken rule that it should be required or do you feel like if you don't do it it's not going to hurt you i don't think it will hurt you i don't see why it would for one these pharmacists these rpds are interviewing hundreds of people hundreds of people they're not going to remember every single person that wrote them a thank you and if they did um like look at them all how many of them are they really going to like be like, oh, this person was genuine or okay, this is generic. I don't know how much of that, you know, will weigh on them. And there's also a process, right? It's not just the RPD that's making a decision. It's all of the pharmacists. Right. So there, it's a joint decision on who they are selecting as a resident. You know, the RPD, I'm assuming the RPD has the final say, but let's say there's, you know, Together, they might narrow down the list of, of 100 to 10. And then from 10, maybe the RP selects the, the three, five, six, whatever, how, however many are at your site, basically. Maybe that's how it's done. I don't know exactly for sure, but I do know that it is a collective process. So I doubt that you not sending a, a thank you letter will really prevent you from matching with that place. Now, maybe it might enhance enhance your chances but i would never say it would hurt your chances if you don't send one that's what i would say with that yeah i think that's a good thing i think it can only help you it either like not change your stance or maybe slightly help you. maybe that's how i think of it unless you write something drastically awful or off-putting in your thing that it hurts but i doubt it's gonna <laughs> yeah. hurt you so it's i think it's polite to do I did want to touch on one thing before we close. Much of anything else to add, Joe? I did, but okay. I lost it. So maybe what you're maybe, about to maybe say. you'll find it along the way. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> but um, okay. So something <laughs> I wanted to add is when your interview is over, before you shut your laptop, before you hop into bed, you know, and just knock out, 
go to your notebook, write down every single thing you felt during your interview, after mm-hmm. the interview, things you strongly liked, disliked. How did you feel about the preceptors? How did you feel about what the residents shared? Were there any red flags? Write it all down because you may have interviews, some back-to-back days, some on the same weeks. Sometimes you're just going to take a nap, wake up, and you'll forget. I think it's best to, while it's so fresh in your mind, write something down so that when it does come time to ranking, which we'll discuss in the next episode, um, you'll have something to refer back to. Yeah, and and if you're not going to do that, something that I did instead was I would text my friends. So I would text Sean, I would text Riley, I would text Kareem, I would text different friends that um, I'm that I know and be like, hey, how was your interview experience today? Like, oh, they, then they return and ask me how was mine? And then I would just tell them my genuine thoughts. So that's something else that you could do is just via text and conversations so that way you can kind of have record if you don't want to keep it on a sheet of paper if you know you're bad at throwing things away maybe you know cliche line but maybe your dog ate it you know or maybe you had um a nephew or niece over they colored over it and they accidentally threw it away whatever the case may be maybe spill something on it if you don't want to write on paper you could save it to your phone or text somebody um that conversation so that way you can have that how you've truly felt about that place and and see it you can read it and have an objective view and be like wow maybe that place wasn't as bad as i thought or maybe um i didn't like that place as much as i thought i did when you look back at it after a week or so and you see how you were describing that place to your friend like how you truly felt right after that interview so that's something else you could also do if you didn't want to write it yeah, like, I mean, there's a lot of common states and, um, like, disease states, sorry. Yeah. Rephrase that. Yeah. Disease states yeah. that people ask about. Did you want to, like, just start listing common disease states? Yeah. Like, so it'll be, like. Taking care or. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So. Yeah, if you want if you want to list some and care ones, I'll list some acute uh, care ones if you want. Yeah, certainly. So when you're, thinking AMCARE, when you're thinking AM care, there's, of course, there's diabetes, right? Mm-hmm. Now. I wouldn't expect it to be a type one diabetic where you're going that far. It could be a type two diabetic maybe with insulin, but most likely type two diabetes, you know, you have metformin, you have the GLP ones, you have SGLT2 inhibitors. Maybe you're looking in the case for any side effects, any complications, maybe they're on a, a, a glyptin, one of the D, um, what is it? The dipeptidase. Um, DBBB4 inhibitors? Yeah, the DBP4 inhibitor. I was trying to think of the full name, but I'm blanking and I'm tired. <laughs> but um, yeah, so the DBP4 inhibitors, maybe there's like a drug interaction or something like that. So you can't use a GLP-1 unless you stop it, you know? So it's, it's going to be more common things like that. Uh, maybe heart failure. You'll, you could definitely see heart failure as a disease state, of course, hypertension. So knowing those core disease states, if you if I were to tell you one section, I don't care if you're applying for acute care or am care, you don't have time. Just look at the cardiac section. I don't think there was one place I interviewed that didn't have a portion of their clinical case had to deal with cardiology, whether it's acute care, which Sean will get into, whether it's heart failure, whether it's AFib, like something of the sort. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. If, if it is another good one for Amcare, and then also like basic like anticoagulation, DOAC, yep. and yep. Uh, I was gonna get there. Warfarin. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Exactly. So knowing those, I would say your main ones. It doesn't hurt to go over asthma and COPD, but I feel that's yes. more straightforward. Really, I didn't. I don't believe I had that much of that. I don't recall it, but definitely those strong major major disease states you will see from the AMCARE side. So diabetes, dyslipidemia, uh, hypertension, now I'm like heart failure, and then possibly maybe like COPD as well and anticoagulation, of course. So those, those major common disease states that I feel you should expect to see for a patient uh, with that. All right. And um, so, um, acute care, Sean. Yeah, so I'm um, trying to think of some good disease states. So definitely um, MI, so heart attacks, um, strokes management will definitely be on there. Um, yeah. Hyperglycemic crisis, whether it's um, diabetic ketoacidosis or HHS, something good. Those are some good things to review. Um, basic yeah. antimicrobials. What's up? I was going to say pneumonia. Yeah, antimicrobials, stewardship, yeah. CAP is on there, probably HAP as well. Maybe skin and soft tissue, possibly. I think I think that's a decent overview. There's so many other disease states though, but I think you, that'd be a good area to start. Yeah, definitely. Definitely the core disease states. So yeah. if you're applying inpatient, still look at the cardiac side or the cardiology side of mm -hmm. things, but you're looking more acute care, like Sean said, heart attacks um, would be a big role, stroke, things like that. And then also looking at infectious disease, because that's obviously going to be a big, big play. Especially pneumonia. Say that again? Especially uh, pneumo. pneumonia. Yes, yes. Especially pneumonia. Um, definitely review the CAP guidelines. Know that, um, like, you know, the back of your hand, which I don't like that phrase, because I don't know the back of my hand. So... What's, <laughs> so what's a better phrase? Hey, y that's new. But yeah, definitely, definitely no cap. And I think that was probably it. You know, I, I feel a lot of us worry about the clinical cases. Oh, that's what it was. Okay. Yes, I knew I would get, I, I would remember. So last thing. Now this is tough. This, this is, this is going to be tough to explain to y'all. So hopefully Sean will let me know if I did a good job. You want and need to sound confident, okay? Because you will be dealing with prescribers. You would be dealing with physicians, all right? So if you're going to make a recommendation to them, you have to be confident in your knowledge, right? So you need to be confident in what you're speaking, what you're going to recommend when they're going through the cases. Now, if you're unsure, you need to be able to also state that, but state that in a, in a, in the correct manner. So what I mean by that, and I failed to do this too. So I don't want anybody thinking like, Oh, like I'm great at this. No, no, no. Like I failed to do that too with my first interview. Then I feel after the first couple, I applied these things to my interviews and I felt the experience was a lot better. And I got a lot better feedback at the end of my, um, at the end of my interview with the RPD. So what I would recommend doing is saying, hey, I'm not confident about that, the answer to that question, but here's what I am thinking. And 
you could say, or you could explain your process. So I'm not exactly confident about that answer, but this is how I would go about finding that answer. And I like to do both so they can kind of see how my brain is, is processing information and how I do things. And then also this is what I would do to, to double check to see if what I said is correct before, or to double check if what I'm thinking is correct before I say it. So going into maybe first, I would say the guidelines, you know, if it's um, heart failure, for example, you know, and you're talking about maybe what's the goal for a certain medication and heart failure, you know, saying I'll go to the 2021 ACCHA consensus update, or maybe the 2018 guidelines, or even as far back as the 2013, whatever case you might have, because that hasn't really changed um, as far as the goal. But just saying like, oh, you know, the guidelines, I'll look in there and do that. I could also use LexiComp as a tertiary resource to confirm the information that I found is correct. You know, if it's different disease states, knowing the, the, the most recent year and the guidelines that would give the correct information. And you can go even further if you actually know maybe the clinical trial that it was from that supported that guideline. Maybe you can even mention that too. So that's something that I would recommend doing instead of just confidently saying an incorrect answer or saying you don't know. You know, you could say, you can maybe mention like, hey, I don't know. And I can get back to you with the correct answer. But here is what I'm thinking. And this is also how I would go about checking for the correct answer, you know, because um, I always like them to hear my thought process and, and what I'm thinking about the pathophysiology of the disease state of the medications, why I believe this would be a good choice. And then this is what I would do to confirm if what I was thinking is the correct answer or correct drug choice before I would recommend it to the physician. Did I do a good job, Sean? That was an amazing job. I think what you said was perfect. I like your explanation and little tips and tricks that you did. Um, I've never seen someone not given a correct answer or a right answer and kind of just wiggle their way so uh, eloquently. So props to you on that. <laughs> um, I will Thanks. echo what you said about confidence because they want to hear a confident answer. Um, mm -hmm. And then also the way you worded, like when you're kind of unsure, I had a question where I was, I legit said my answer and I was like, you know what? And, they're, and like, they're going to probe you. I said my answer and they gave me a straight face and they're like, okay but are you sure? And I'm like, Oh, they're really putting yeah. in a blender right now. And what I said was, you know what? I'm about 99% sure. And because I'm not a hundred percent sure, I, I think I said something like I so I would look up and then I list like my resources and stuff just to make sure, because when dealing with patient health, I never want to assume something is correct. And they're like, okay, I like that answer. And so that just kind of rolled with it. But I think I ended up being right on the answer, but still it's like, I don't want to look dumb and like have a bad yep. answer, so. Exactly, so don't fall for the mind games, okay? Don't fall for the mind games. If you are confident in something and you know it's correct, trust your knowledge, trust the work that you have put in to be in this position. Now, if you are unsure, there is no problem saying you are unsure, because guess what? you're not going to know everything, all right? If you just got a new patient that's been diagnosed with HIV, what are you gonna start them with? If you don't know, it's not bad for you to look up resources to see 
what are medications you start and what are the starting medications for or the combination medications you start for patients with HIV. You know, there's there's going to be things you'll never know right off the bat. There's no pharmacist that I've ever met that never uses a tertiary resource like Lexicom, like cl um, clinical pharmacology, like using um, primary primary literature to back up a recommendation. Like they use resources, they use guidelines, they use meta-analyses, they use the primary literature from the clinical trial. Sometimes they might even use a random case report, but they use something, all right? So there is no problem mentioning how you would go about finding the answer if you're unsure. Because that's the thing, you're not gonna know the answer to everything, but you do need to know how to find the answer. Because the answer is out there. How are you going to find it? So I think that's also an important thing to, to be able to relate to them because you will be an independent pharmacist when you're their resident. So when you're independent, how are you going to find answers to questions that you don't know the answer to? Are you just going to assume and now cause harm via patient care? Or are you going to do your due diligence and uh, dot your I's, cross your T's, and search for the information in the correct manner. Yeah, I think we've dropped uh, quite a few gems on this episode. I agree. I feel good. I feel I feel awake now. <laughs> I, think, I think I'm like I feel energized. Yeah, I feel like I'm ready to take on my interview now. You know. Yeah, I feel I feel like I can I could redo residency interviews right now. All of them, back to back to back to back to back. I'm ready. Tell me about a time. <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh. <laughs> I can't say those questions. All right, let's uh, let's let's let's, uh, let's get out of here, man. Let's uh... <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Let's get out before I fail the behavioral situational question portion. All right, Jovan, hit us with the outro. Yes, sir. As always, thank you, thank you, and thank you so much for listening. Sean and I greatly appreciate it. Jeff greatly appreciates it. Brandon greatly appreciates it. And so does Rachel and Alvin. So thank you so much to all of you for listening, liking our content, downloading it, supporting us on Facebook, supporting us on Instagram. Um, as always, you can find us on Instagram at Capsule Production. And we are going to try our best to make this year as, make this year our best year. You know, each year we want to continue to build and get better. And we're looking at ways for us to do better on our Instagram and to continue to give you all compelling and compelling content and, and great informational resources. So be on the lookout for more posts from us on Instagram. We're going to try to be more active, even though we're all super busy. <laughs> we're going we're gonna to make time for all of you because we truly care about educating you and helping you find your, your niche in pharmacy, whether it's a career or just gaining knowledge to better yourself and to be the best version of you that you could possibly be. So definitely stay tuned to the next um, part of the Road to Residency series. That's going to be episode five. We're going to talk about how to rank. So when you're going through that match process, how you want to rank it, because once again, you don't have control of it. You only have control of what you rank. You don't have control of the whole process. So we're going to go over that. Um, that's also a very important one. Please don't skip that episode. And then uh, we might have another additional series to that in reference to not matching and then going through phase two. Um, fortunately, Sean and I were able to match phase one, 
but hopefully we can find some individuals that did not match phase two and would be willing to come on and, and share that experience with us and with all of you to help all of you that don't match first round. So you don't feel defeated. You feel like maybe, you know, this isn't for you. This isn't the dream. Um, your dream goal of being an ambulatory care pharmacist, a specialty pharmacist, or a, a, farm, a clinical pharmacist, whatever it may be that requires a residency, and you don't get it first round, we don't want you to give up. And that's one of the reasons why we also wanted to create this condensed um, five to six part series. So that way, all of you that are listening can be the top candidates for the programs that you want to be at. Okay. So as always, if you have any other questions, um, anything you want to talk to us personally about, you can go to our, our Instagram, Capsule Production. We have a link tree. You can find LinkedIn's, you can find Facebook's, um, our Facebook's, LinkedIn's, whatever you need. Okay. We're here for y'all. So please feel free to reach out and we'll do our best to respond to you with, I'm going to say within 48 hours. I feel like um, we're all busy, but we're going to definitely do our best to respond within 48 hours and be of service to you in any way possible. Okay. So thank you again. And as always, until next time.